Welcome to the Issues on Appeal podcast. This is episode 16, Stories from Oral Argument. Thanks for joining me. This week's show is again sponsored by Commercial Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More about CSBA later in the show. Our topic this week is Stories from Oral Argument. Now, this show is going to be a little bit different. I've got nine different guests for just a few minutes each. I'd hope to record this in person at the Florida Bar Appellate Practice Section's Executive Council meeting in Fernandina Beach, but that got waylaid by Hurricane Dorian. So I imposed on a bunch of my friends to record impromptu sessions over the phone and over the internet this past week. My thanks to all of them for helping to keep the podcast on schedule. I do have to apologize for some of the sound quality. I I pride myself on having a show that sounds great, but the exigent circumstances this week meant for some different recording equipment and even some recording over the phone. The sound is not perfect by any means, but I think you'll find the stories are worth putting up with it for just this week. My discussion with everyone, C.C. Berman, Matt Canigliaro, Jamie Moses, Joe Eagleton, Courtney Brewer, Tom Elligott, Dean Wasilek, Thomasina Moore, and Chris Donovan, is coming up next. C.C. Berman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dwayne. Thanks for having me. So you are a board-certified appellate specialist, and you are at Brannock and Humphreys here in Tampa. And uh, I think that you have an oral argument story to add to our our collection for today. I do. And I think that this kind of goes in the category of funny story or maybe funny, not funny. I um, (laughs) It was – I. I think I told you it was 15 years ago next month, exactly. And I know that because it involves my oldest child, who will be 15 on December 1st. And it was here in the at the second DCA um, in the Tampa branch. And I was pregnant um, with, my, with my daughter, my first child. And when I say pregnant, I mean really pregnant. Um, (laughs) I had gained about 60 pounds. I had had to go purchase a $400 maternity suit just for this oral argument because that is, that is a true story. I can still tell you all about the suit, what it looked like, the ugly brown color it was. Um, because I had outgrown my maternity clothes about two weeks earlier. In fact, when I saved them, by the way, for the next child, I never got that big again. So that's how large I was, which becomes key to this story. So (laughs) very, very, very large, very, very large. And, um, this oral argument gets set and I honestly don't know. I didn't consider continuing or anything. It was held about 12 days before I had her. And, um, so I suppose something could have happened and we would have needed to move the argument, but in any event, it did not. And I had not asked to continue it or anything like that. And, um, it, you know, we go for the argument that day. I get all dressed up in my very expensive, very ugly maternity suit. Brown suit. Yeah. Yeah, It was very attractive. Like I said, it was very brown. Cram my feet into my shoes. All I can think about is how I'm leaving the oral argument immediately after to go home and take the shoes back off. And um, we argued the case, and I felt like it had gone very well for me. I thought that the case should have gone my way, just, you know, on the merits. It was not a particularly complex case, as I recall. Um, And it was against a law firm was the other party, and one of the lawyers from that law firm was arguing. And 
we go and we argue the case. Like I said, I didn't think it was going to be a too terrible of an oral argument um, because I thought the briefing was pretty straightforward. Um, I honestly cannot remember now whether the, I was the appellant or the appellee. I think I was the appellee. And we go and argue the case. And like I, I think I might have also told you, the judge who was primary on the case still remembers this uh, 15 years later. And like I said, I know it's 15 years ago because she'll be 15 on December 1st. And it was in November. It was about a week before Thanksgiving. She was born the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And so he remembers because I had to heave ho myself up and out of this chair just to get <laughs> I mean, it was really no joke. And um, we argue the case. Like I said, I thought it went well. I thought it should have gone well. Had you know, in my mind, certainly nothing to do with the pregnancy. It was just a pretty straightforward case. I am pretty sure I was the appellee. Briefing was pretty straightforward. The oral argument was pretty straightforward. But the opposing counsel did have a personal interest in the case because it was against the lawyer's law firm. His law firm, yeah. Yeah, handling the case. So we leave after the oral argument, you know, shaking hands, nice job, all that good stuff. As we're leaving and we kind of get out of earshot, he is really grumpy and he says, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to say against someone who's clearly about to give birth here in the middle of the courtroom. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. It was like, I mean, I don't know. And then he kind of went on and he's like, well, I mean, I don't know how I could win. What am I supposed to say when you look like this? Oh, jeez. You know, and, and he really said it. And he really said it. You know, I mean, seriously, I think many people who know me know you could have said that to me joking and laughing all day long. And I would have laughed right along with you and said, yeah, too bad for you or whatever the case may be. But he really wasn't. He wasn't joking and he wasn't laughing and he was being serious. He was very grouchy and he thought that he had been dealt quite an unfair advantage to have to hold this oral (laughs) argument with this very pregnant woman. And he basically told me so. And he knew, I mean, it was clear that how the oral argument had gone. We thought, I think both sides thought, and he was, I think, not happy about it. And so that's what he said. I don't know what I'm supposed to say against someone who's clearly about to give birth here in the middle of this courtroom. (laughs) You know, I didn't really know quite what to say. I wasn't even quite 30 years old and he was much older than me. And I just kind of smiled and like kind of giggled as if he'd said it like a joke because I didn't really know how else to treat that. Right. You know, well, yeah. Well, so, you know, there you go. That That's the OA secret weapon. Nine months pregnant. Waddle <laughs> yeah, your way in and apparently they will feel so sorry for you that they will rule for you. I mean, I think that was the gist of what he was saying. I didn't yeah. know how to tell him. Mm, it was a pretty straightforward case. The briefing was kind of clear, and the OA went pretty much exactly how I'd have expected it to go. But um, he didn't feel that way. So, and I'm sure it didn't feel like an advantage to you at the time. You were <laughs> ready to get it over with. <laughs> Not at all. All I could think about was, you know, I really want to clock you right now, but instead I'm going to smile and kind of laugh like you said something funny and tell you to have a nice afternoon and, you know, good argument and off I went and I went home and I took off the shoes that <laughs> I had been wanting to take off for the past, you know, two or three hours. Or so, I might have to send him for some sensitivity training, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've not met up with the lawyer ever since. I have seen the law firm in one other case, but not in a case uh, with me. And like I said, I think the lawyer was just, just cranky. I think he knew that his law firm was about to lose and, you know, 
he couldn't help himself. But it did. It really did take me off guard. So, like I said, maybe funny, but not funny. But That's right. Yeah. I, I did have that experience. Mostly I chalked it up to funny because, you know, I thought, well, ha ha, I'm going to win and you're not. And so, <laughs> That's right. The, the moral of the story is you got the last laugh. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> But um, but that really did happen to me, and it was a very awkward scenario. Um, and I did feel quite strongly that no, I don't think nine months pregnant is the secret at all. No. So. Well, thanks, Cece. I appreciate you sharing that story with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the Issues on Appeal podcast. Thanks, Dwayne. So you are a uh, board-certified appellate specialist and appellate lawyer at Carlton Fields in Tampa, and uh, history will always remember you as being the first actual guest on the podcast, so great to have you back. Well, thanks very much. <laughs> so uh, today we are talking about oral argument stories. Do you, do you have one for us? Yeah, I definitely have many oral argument stories. Some, some make me look... Uh, Better than others, probably. Uh, but 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 here's one where I'm not sure how good I look, but it maybe it's a useful story for folks. I had a case in one of the DCAs, and it was a busy docket that morning, so a lot of folks were in court, including a number of partners. And I was a much younger lawyer at the time, and I get up to do my argument with this courtroom full of people, and it's a contract case. And during the course of the argument, the judge who was presiding asked me about some question that that I just didn't hear it right. And so I wasn't quite sure how to respond. So I said something like, I forget how I put it, but I, I tried to politely say that I just didn't follow the question. And and the judge who asked it was a little annoyed, but then repeated the question, perhaps just a tad more clear the second time. And things went on. And then we got to another point in the argument where the same judge asked me a question about the contract and asked whether there was a particular provision in the contract, sort of a standard provision. And... I didn't remember. It hadn't come up in the briefing, hadn't come up in in anything, and I just didn't remember. And so I I paused for a second and thought, well, I I don't want to guess, because if I get it wrong, it it could be horrible. So, and then I thought, well, I have the contract sitting right here. I could look, but then that'll look really bad too. So I thought, I'm just going to be honest and, and answer, I don't remember whether that provision is in this agreement or not. And that prompted the judge to just sort of launch into this small speech about how, well, this is a fine day here in court. Uh, apparently I, the judge, don't know how to ask a question clearly. And, and you don't actually know anything about what's in the record. And so how are we going to do this? And the whole courtroom starts laughing, and I laugh because because what else can you do, right? And uh, <laughs> it's a true story, and and so I I just sort of laughed along. But as I was sitting there, I kept thinking, why did you ask this question about whether this contract has this provision that no one's talked about before in this case? Uh, because clearly everybody 
including the judge, could have just looked at the contract to see if it was sitting there. It wasn't a long contract. It wasn't like one of these monsters. And uh, but but there I was, and everybody's laughing, and, and I thought, oh boy, oh boy, and and it was it was just sort of fun. Uh, at the end of the day, when the opinion came out, uh, the judge who was asking those questions is the one who wrote the opinion, and and the court went our way. So it, it, it was sort of a sort of a, a difficult argument to, to get through. Uh, but at the same time, it was uh, slightly entertaining. The lesson I took from it was anytime, especially with a contract case, just make sure you've gone through every tiny bit of that agreement, just in case somebody asks some, you know, unexpected question about what may or may not be in it. And, and the second lesson was, if you're not sure, just admit you're not sure, because it was better for me to have taken the judge's jabs about not knowing what was in the agreement uh, than it would have been for me to have guessed wrong. Right. But, and, I, and I think a third lesson from that is that even when things aren't going super well at the argument, you can't, you can't give up or get flustered, right? Because you ultimately wound up prevailing. So you, even though it, it felt awkward at the time, uh, it was effective. It, it all worked out. <laughs> well, thanks, Matt. I I appreciate it, and uh, I know you're a busy guy, and and on your phone because you're traveling somewhere. I appreciate your time. Anytime, Dwayne. You take care, and best of luck with the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Jamie Moses, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. And so you are a board certified appellate lawyer and you are at Holland and Knight in Orlando. And do you have an oral argument story for us? Yes, actually I do. This is one I love to tell because it just was such a funny experience. Um, I was the appellant and had written a brief and had relied uh, on a significant amount of case law out of the third DCA in a family law appeal. And the morning of oral argument, I show up to the argument and I see that uh, Judge Alan Schwartz from the 3rd DCA is visiting for the day. And if anyone knows or knew Judge Schwartz, he unfortunately has passed, but he Mm -hmm. was cantankerous. He was, um, you know, arguments before Judge Schwartz could be pretty intense. He was known across the state for his oral arguments. So, yes. yes. And, you know, I have two other judges on the 50 CA and that I knew very well, but, you know, having Judge Schwartz there sort of created a wrinkle. So the argument is relatively unique for two reasons. First of all, the argument was originally set for Tuesday of that week, and it had to be moved because my name had gone up to the governor for a circuit seat, and my interview with the governor was that Tuesday. So the other side agreed to move it. It was no big deal. But we get to the oral argument, and in my presentation, I'm trying to be as respectable as possible for the trial court, and finally, 
Judge Schwartz interrupts me and says, Miss Moses, you are only being deferential to the trial court because you might be one of his colleagues someday and you're just afraid to admit <laughs> he messed up. So I'm glad you're laughing because that that's why I think it's funny. Um, you know, and maybe in the third DCA, the, the tone with which appellants uh, criticize the trial court's a little different than in the fifth DCA, but we're incredibly deferential to the trial court. And I never would have even thought about disrespecting the trial court, regardless of him being a potential colleague or not someday. So that's how the argument started. Then we're going along and I'm making my argument and Judge Schwartz is dominating the argument. And at one point he says, Miss Moses, um, I agree with you. There are a hundred cases saying we have to reverse, and I've written all of them. And I, <laughs> suddenly, the two fifty CA panel members look at him. Um, one of them, a very senior member of the court, who I will not mention, and I realize that this is going downhill very badly for me because it's getting to the point where this is no longer about my argument. This is about the 50 CA versus the third DCA. It's, it's a power struggle on the bench. <laughs> yes. And so finally, I looked at Judge Schwartz and I said, Your Honor, I know that you agree with me. Can I please work on the other two panel members now? <laughs> and he, he laughed. He threw up his arms. He says, I don't even know why we're discussing it anymore and stopped questioning me. Um, <laughs> Later on in the argument, one of the senior members of the court said, you know, Miss Moses, we know Judge Schwartz disagrees with you, but we don't. And I knew right then and there that we were going down in flames. I knew that if there was a chance to distinguish the hundred cases that Judge Schwartz had written, there would be. And I knew that we were not getting a reversal on that particular issue, unfortunately. Luckily, we got her. It was two main issues. We got a reversal on the second issue, which helped the parties resolve their differences. But that was probably the funniest oral argument I've had in my 25 years. Oh, boy. No, that, that is a great story. And, and that's such a Judge Schwartz story. <laughs> it is. It is. So God rest his soul. Uh, uh, I do miss him, but uh, he has given me a memory to last a lifetime. For sure. Hey, Jamie, thanks so much. We really appreciate you uh, being on the show. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. So Joe Eagleton, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me again, Dwayne. Yeah, and you are a uh, appellate lawyer at Brannock and Humphreys in Tampa. Yep. We have been uh, collecting people's you know oral argument stories. So do you have a do you have a story for us? Well, I can. Uh, I have uh, an argument that I did in uh, Key West. So I think anything that involves Key West must have a story, right? Oh, for sure. You know, I've always wanted to do that. I know that there's a, a courthouse down there, and that's that's been on my bucket list, but I haven't had reason to get there yet. Well, maybe after you hear my story, though, it'll be you can cross it off your bucket list. This is not this is not a happy story. Okay. Uh, so you know the the um, third. DCA every once in a while will um, 
sit down there like some of the other DCAs kind of travel yep. around their districts. And so the third has the fortune, I guess, of having Key West within their district. And so they set the argument on a Friday morning, I guess, so that the judges can go down and enjoy the weekend, the weekend right? <laughs> yeah, in Key West afterwards. Um, and this, this sounds like, you know, it would be a lot of fun, but you know, to get to Key West from where I am in Tampa is not the easiest thing in the world um, to do. No. And I'm sort of a creature of habit when it comes to oral argument. And, and I like to kind of try to do things the same way before every argument and to kind of be um, arrive kind of early and get the lay of the land if the argument is out of town or if I haven't been to the particular location um, before. And so um, the the saga starts with my flight being delayed and, and all kinds of kind of flight issues getting down to Key West. Fortunately, um, I, I've had the experience of the flight being canceled to Key West. So there's only hmm. one flight that goes there. It's a, it's a whole uh, big process to get there. Um, right. It doesn't seem like it should be, but it is one of the harder places to get to. Um. But I arrive a little later than I'd like, and my hotel, um, based on where, I guess I wasn't thinking this through ahead of time, but based on where the courthouse is, um, my hotel is is close to the courthouse, but it's also um, kind of adjacent to Duval Street. Sure. Uh, you know, it's, the big, it's the big bar street. The and party and, drag in Key West, yeah. Exactly. And um, I, I don't know what it is. Every time I go to Key West, uh, too, there's always either like a biker convention going on or some kind of extra uh, event that has brought a bunch of people to Key West. And so... Um, I can't remember if this was bike week. I, I've blocked this out, but it was something where there was, there was quite a lot of, uh, good times being had on the Thursday night, um, before the argument. So, um, the location of my hotel being near Duval Street was was not the greatest for getting prepared, although it, it would turn out to be quite convenient for drowning my sorrows uh, <laughs> after the argument. Right. Uh, so the uh, the morning of the argument, I go. It's a beautiful courthouse um, in Key West, actually, that they have a relatively new um, building there. And um, it's kind of an event, you know, with the third DCA being there. And so there's some kind of local dignitaries milling about in the courtroom. And I, I don't really think much of this. I'm kind of, you know, in the zone before the argument. And I was the second case up and, and uh, I was the appellant in the case. And so the the panel um, comes out for the first argument and, and says some nice words about how great it is to be in Key West and kind of recognizes some of the um, – you know, dignitaries. And one of them was the, one of the trial judges in Monroe County who hears um, their civil cases. And it had just so happened that that trial judge was the trial judge oh. on the case that I was oh, about geez. to argue. And so <laughs> there I am preparing to be the appellant, talk about how terribly wrong this trial court was while he um, is sitting there. And, you know, this, this case was, um, 
you know, it was sort of a normal, it was a, a, a partnership dispute, but it was memorable enough based on the facts. So there was no doubt in my mind that he would, he may, you know, the judge may not have remembered the intricacies of the case, but um, he certainly was going to have a, a recollection of the case. Um, and so that was a little bit of an awkward experience having him <laughs> in the courtroom uh, to make the argument. Um, so I get up to make my presentation and, and as usual, I don't get very far um, before the questions start. And it seems um, fairly clear to me that the court is, is not buying uh, my argument, although they're kind of doing their usual thing of exploring the issue. Um, and, one of the judges um, kind of interrupts me midway through an answer. This is still very early um, in the argument and says, well, doesn't that, what you're just saying, kind of go to issue two that you have raised? And I'm not really sure that what I was saying did go to issue two, but, you know, of course, we're always trained that you, if the judge wants to talk about something, you mm -hmm. know, you should, you should talk about it. And, it. and it seemed like that could be maybe a, a, a friendly uh, rescue to me. Well, you know, he wasn't kind of buying my answer on issue one, but, um, you know, a little maybe, redirection. Really? Yeah, exactly. A little helpful yeah. redirection. And so I sort of, um, you know, I don't think I said yes because I, it didn't exactly go to issue two, but I sort of suggested or tried to see the the parallel he was drawing and kind of gave a response that uh, indicated if you'd like to talk about issue two, you know, I'd be happy to do so. And he then proceeded to spend about a minute and a half to two minutes telling me why issue two was even worse than issue <laughs> one. And um, the the argument sort of uh, just devolved from there, and 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 I think the kind of one of the things that I, looking back on it, always regret a little bit is that I was never able to kind of bring the discussion back around to the first issue. Um, you know, I think there's a reason it was issue two and not issue one, and the issues were ordered the way that they were, and uh, even though the court didn't seem initially to be buying what I was uh, selling on issue one. There was some conversation about it and there was a little bit more, I think, that I wanted to say. And once we got talking about issue two, which in the moment seemed like the thing to do, particularly since, um, you know, one of the judges on the panel wanted to go there, um, you know, I really had a hard time bringing it back around and getting to say what I wanted to say about the first issue and, and lost a little bit of control, I think, over the argument. And so I, I sat down and I kind of planned on being able to talk, you know, a little bit more about issue one when I stood back up for, for the rebuttal. I don't think I had too much time left, but given that we were in Key West, they were being uh, a little bit generous and, and feeling like they were in a good mood about the time anyway. And so I go to Sam back up for my rebuttal. And before I even get to the lectern, one of the other judges on the panel just starts asking me a question that was, again, directed at something that didn't lend itself neatly to issue one and what I wanted to talk about. Um, and so it was, uh, it was quite an experience. And, and after that, it was, it was pretty obvious that uh, we weren't winning that one. I uh, made my way, sadly, back to my hotel room. And then I was quite happy to be in Key West, <laughs> and, uh, located near Duval Street.
period. So I take it you, know, you probably didn't get a, get a flight till the next day, right? So you had to stay another not. night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was there for another night, and I uh, made the best use of my time as I could. <laughs> oh well. You know, I, I, now having lived that experience vicariously through you, I think I'll just go to Key West and not do an oral argument. Yeah, I think that's the way to go, to be honest. I mean, you know, maybe it would have been more fun if uh, if things had gone a little bit better for me. Uh, I'm assuming you didn't win. No, no. It was, no. Uh, I, I believe that was a PCA against us within a week or two. Yeah. Well, hey, Joe, thanks. That, that was a good story. I, uh, I appreciate you being on the show again. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Dwayne. It was fun. Thanks. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida or any other state or federal court, contact Commercial Surety. They can be reached at www.commercialsurety.com or by phone toll-free at 877 810 5525. Their contact information is always in the show notes. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode nine. Nothing rhymes with supersedious. If you really want to understand appellate bonds and how the business works so that you can better explain that and discuss it with your client, I highly recommend you give that episode a listen. I'm thrilled to have a great company like CSBA sponsoring the show. The next time a client needs a supersedious bond, please give them a call. These folks are experts in this area. They'll guide you and your client through the process and give you one less thing to worry about. So, Courtney Brewer, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Dwayne. So, you are a board-certified appellate specialist, and you are an appellate attorney at the Bishop and Mills firm in Tallahassee. That's correct. I am. And so we have been talking with various practitioners in this episode about oral argument, and I'm hoping you have an oral argument story for us. Sure, I do. This will be uh, kind of the giving hope segment, I think, of your podcast, because... I am I am here on behalf of anyone who uh, cringes at the thought of doing oral argument. I am going to hearken back to my 1L experience when, like all 1Ls, I had to do my first mock oral argument based on my appellate brief in the spring semester. And at my school, we actually had to do on brief and off brief. Mm-hmm. And, and I prepared for that. And I remember leaving that experience and I wasn't one of those students who knew what she wanted to do with her law degree Uh, I just was interested in the law but I can tell you when I left my mock oral argument I knew one thing I never wanted to do and that was be an appellate attorney because I hated my (laughs) oral argument experience so very much I just I, I actually one of the panelists said to me you're the most nervous person I've ever seen during an oral argument and I was like okay cross that one off the list I didn't enjoy speaking to a three judge panel none of that resonated with me um so flash forward a few years I did want to clerk for a judge and ended up with an appellate judge at the Florida Supreme Court where I clerked for Justice Wells which was a wonderful experience and I went to do that because I really liked research and writing um those aspects of appellate law didn't terrify me but mm-hmm. uh but and and I figured it would be a chance to see a variety of Florida law and get a good 
good read on maybe what type of law I wanted to practice. And of course, while I was there, I got the opportunity to watch a lot of oral arguments. And I I can remember feeling like, oh my gosh, this is the Florida Supreme Court. Like, this is going to be the moot court champions from every law school coming in and, and presenting their cases. And I am, this is just going to be the most compelling advocacy I've ever seen. And, right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I would say some of the oral arguments went that way and they were fantastic uh, advocates. Some, not so much. Uh, I saw a, a number of folks who I just thought, oh, I could have done better than that. And then there was this middle category of people that you could tell public speaking wasn't their forte necessarily, but they were prepared. They knew their case inside and out. They knew the facts, they knew the law, and they did fantastic jobs. Um, and so it dawned on me that maybe the the skills that you needed to have at law school to do well in moot court weren't going to necessarily be the ones required to be an appellate attorney. And so, and, and what was going to be required was to be the most prepared person in the room. Mm-hmm. And so I moved on from clerking. I actually ended up at the solicitor general's office, which of course is like the appellate attorney for the state of Florida. But again, with a focus on research and writing and those aspects of appellate law, um, I, I didn't have my first OA till about a year after I started. And I can remember uh, it was at the third DCA and I actually had We were Appley. We were representing the Florida Elections Commission, and the appellant was a pro se litigant um, because back then the third DCA would give oral argument to anybody. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. even a pro se person requesting it, they were good with giving a oral argument time to them. So, um, and I prepared for that 10 minutes of my life like I was about to argue at the U.S. Supreme Court. (laughs) I, I knew that, you know, everything about elections law, everything about the facts, you know, the record, it was probably less than 200 pages. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I knew it. I did moot courts, several moot courts. I think, uh, when I actually got to the oral argument, I was coming from Tallahassee, had to go down to Miami for it. And I remember meeting the appellant at counsel's table and she said, why did you come all the way down here for this? <laughs> like, hey, this is like the biggest deal of my life. Uh, I spoke for all of four minutes. I answered the one question that was asked of me and, of course, thought of the better answer to the question the next day. Um, and ever since then, you know, I've, I've prepared in the same way for every oral argument, just trying to be the most prepared person in the room. It's still not my favorite part of appellate advocacy, but, um, you know, I've come to appreciate it. I've come to become more comfortable with it and appreciate kind of just having the chance to have a conversation with appellate judges. So I'm just here to say that if I can do it, anyone listening to this podcast can do it. And, uh, you know, if you love research and writing and you love appellate courts and all that, never let your fear of oral argument dissuade you from uh this great line of work. Well, no, that is a great story. And, you know, so much of what we do is writing and research and it's, it's just punctuated by these, you know, brief (laughs) 20 minute (laughs) arguments, you know, every so often. And it is, it is, um, it's, it's interesting that it's such a different skill set, right? But, um, and, and I mean, so many people love it. It's their favorite part, you know, they, they live for it. Uh, and they make fine appellate advocates too. It's just 
you know, it's kind of interesting that we have these two sides to, to our specialty. But I think that you are right that, uh, you know, preparation and, and knowledge, um, that's the big, uh, leveler, you know, that, 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 that levels the playing field is if you're, if you're prepared enough, you, you don't have to be the best orator in the world, uh, if you understand your case and your arguments and are well prepared. Absolutely. Great. Hey, thanks, Courtney. I really appreciate your help and uh, well, appreciate it to have you on the podcast before. So everybody should go back and listen to your prior episode about uh, Public Court Rules Committee, and we'll hope to have you on again. My pleasure. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you. So, Tom Elegant, thank you. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Now, you are a board-certified appellate specialist, and you're a, a named shareholder in the Buell and Elegant uh, firm in Tampa. That's correct, yes. All right. So in, in the spirit of this episode, uh, do you have a, an oral argument story that you can share with us? I do. I'll, I'll share one. That I'm sure you have a bunch. but <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. I, I, I've done a few arguments, and I have, but I have one I'll share that, uh, that sort of... Uh, Maybe lesson learned. Uh, uh, I was arguing case in front of the second district. It's been quite a while ago because I remember that Judge Frank was the chief judge on the panel. I had the appellee, but I thought we had a real problem based on my uh, it was an appeal we'd gotten from outside the firm, and based on what I was looking at. Um, so I was prepared to, for some rather detailed questioning, and they. To my pleasant surprise, when the appellant got up, um, they really went after him on a few things. Um, so when I got up, I basically corrected one or two things he said and said, you know, in a nutshell, our position is such. And um, and Judge Frank looked at me and said, um, we understand your position. And the way he said it, I interpreted that to mean, we understand your position, but we don't agree. So, so I said, well, I said, if there's something the court would like me to address, I'll be glad to try to do that. And then he said, is there something you think we don't understand? And at that point, I said, nope, thank you, and sat down. So, uh, and I think the moral of that story that I learned is, you know, if it's, uh, if, if, you know, first off, simply if, they, if they're not asking you something in the FLE, that's probably a good sign. And um, if, if they're, uh, uh, you know, leave well enough alone when you're, you know, you don't have to. Of course, I, I, I knew long before that that you don't have to take the full 20 minutes, but but I, you don't have to take whatever it is you're allotted if, if you don't need it. Right. But, well, yeah, that sounds like a uh, completing OA in, in record time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, and you know, and that is a good point. I think sometimes we feel compelled to, you know, to say something, but, uh, when the, when the panel gives you a clear indication, uh, we, we should we should take that hint, I guess, right? Yeah, and 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 I would have, but the way he said it, and again, I, I maybe I read too much into it because because a couple of weeks later we did get the uh, the, the prevailing opinion, but um, the way he said it just made me uncomfortable, and uh, um, maybe that maybe that was what he intended. I don't know, but but it, it all came out all right. <laughs> no, that's natural. I, I think that we always wonder, you know, we always are overthinking those things and reading things into it. And, and I, I, I'm sure that I would have done the same thing. That's, uh, 
you, you'd love to think that you've won already and it's just time to sit down, but that can be a tough, uh, a tough message to get. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm much more comfortable doing it now. <laughs> well, hey, thanks, Tom. I really appreciate it. I hope to, at some point uh, we'll have you back on the show for uh, for a whole episode we can record in person because I'm sure that there's uh, lots of things that, that you and I can talk about. Sounds good. Take care, Dwayne. Thanks, Tom. Denine Wasilik, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dwayne. So you are a board-certified pellet specialist as well as a board-certified intellectual property specialist, and you practice at DPW Legal in Tampa. That's correct. And so we have been running the tables here of oral argument stories. Do you have one for us? I do. I have a story from my time as a clerk on the 11th Circuit that I think would be enjoyable. Oh, great. So um, when I was clerking um, back in, this was in, it was, it was in 1999, um, and we had an oral argument. Um, I clerked for the Honorable Susan Black in Jacksonville on the 11th Circuit. We had an oral argument scheduled in the old Jacksonville courthouse. And I don't know if you'd ever been to the old courthouse. There's a newer one now. But the the courtroom in that old courthouse was really inadequate. It was very, very small. There was only about two rows. If you just picture two rows of of church pew style seating, um, one on either side of the bench, and just a really tiny room that's kind of falling apart with like bad 70s industrial carpet that's rippling up. It was in in pretty (laughs) bad shape. Um, Tiny, tiny room. And... um, and that day for oral argument, we had several criminal appeals. Um, and one was of a multi, multi defendant alleged conspiracy. And so, um, and it seemed like everybody's family member wanted to be at this oral argument. And so we had <laughs> that courtroom, this two row courtroom packed with probably about 40 or 50 people just like crammed in there trying to watch this argument. Um, And we got through that argument. And then the last argument of the day um, with all these people still in the courtroom, because they really couldn't leave was um, an appeal of a sentence for a man who had gotten um, convicted of radio wave piracy, (laughs) believe it or not, in violation (laughs) of FCC regs. And, and he actually happened to be, out already, so they were they were they were appealing his sentence, and there was some sort of post post serving time conditions they were trying to get taken off, which is why they were still why it wasn't moot, even though he was out of prison. But he was there in the gallery, and his lawyer was up there arguing. And at one point, um, one of the judges asked a question, and his his attorney started to answer it. And the gentleman took it upon himself to do what we always tell clients not to do, which is to speak up. <laughs> yeah. And he stood up and he pointed at the panel and he said, that's not true, really loudly. Um, oh. Well, <laughs> the, the presiding judge, uh, I, won't, I won't name him by name, but was a very Southern gentleman who doesn't suffer fools gladly. Let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. And um, very severe also. And he, he looked at the man and he, you know, told him to sit down and he started to make rumbling. And he said, get out and get out now. And the guy didn't. 
And then he said, get out now or else you will be arrested, sir. And then the <laughs> guy finally walked out and they finished the argument. And as they were finishing the argument, the attorney apologized to the court. said, I'm sorry, Your Honor, my client is just really passionate about this. And the judge who was presiding said, in just the most delicious Southern drawl, which I'm not going to do justice to, but I'm going to try. He looked at me and said, now, counsel, I recognize that your client is upset. And so I'm going to give you 10 minutes to get your client nowhere near this courthouse before, <laughs> before we adjourn this court. <laughs> and, and the guy starts like having a heart. Yes, Your Honor. Thank you, Your Honor. Counsel, your time is ticking. Oh, yes, yes, I'm going now. And he runs out the door. And literally, the judge kept us all in the courtroom for 10 minutes. He sent the, you know, the, the, um, the officer outside to check to make sure the guy was away from the courthouse. And then he said, okay, now we are safe. We are adjourned. <laughs> oh, that is a good story. <laughs> so that was the most, the most interesting oral argument I ever witnessed, for sure. That is very interesting. You know, it's funny because in the in the circuit courts, we get to having bailiffs there all the time. And I mean, was there a court security officer at the Eleventh Circuit for that uh, argument? Yeah, there were yeah. SOs there at the time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Both, but but it was pre nine eleven, and the um, you know, the, yes. the procedures were a lot more Definitely. lax than I think they are now. Unfortunately, although. Although even so, in the Eleventh Circuit, that's not entirely true because even though it was pre nine eleven, it was post mail bomb, and I don't know if you recall that there was right. a uh, mail bomb that killed a judge. Um, it's not funny at all. A while before that, and so the Eleventh Circuit was pretty strict on security, more so than I think a lot of other government agencies. Yeah. Uh, in the wake of that, so yeah, so there were plenty of CSOs available, and I think the judge was pretty certain this dude was relatively harmless but him sort of getting his finger you know wagging his finger at the judge was not taken well nobody likes to be pointed at like that and judges have the power to do something about it (laughs) yeah they really don't so well thanks Danine. i really appreciate it thanks for your time and thanks for your story oh no problem thanks thanks ryan i'm looking forward to the episode so, Thomasina Moore, thank you for uh, coming back to the podcast. Thanks for having me again. And so, you are the Director of Appeals for Florida's Guardian Ad Litem Office. And as such, you have a lot of exposure to oral arguments and such. And our, our theme this week is we're talking about oral argument stories. So, do you have one for us? I do, actually. And I think it's one that is in a little bit different context than... Um, many people see, and it's one that is unique for me. I've only done it one time in this context, and that is in the context of having done an amicus brief and doing oral argument. In that particular case, we were acting on behalf of the guardian ad litem in a civil lawsuit. And the civil lawsuit was a case where a former foster care child had brought an action against the home where he had been placed. And there was an issue that was raised regarding the statute of limitations. There is a tolling provision in the statute for the period of time when a child does not have a parent or guardian appointed to them Mm -hmm. to be able to bring the action. And the question that was presented was, is a guardian ad litem 
a guardian for purposes of the tolling statute. And it really represented a very important issue in that um, the term ad litem had never been defined under Florida law. So it was important just in general for guardian ad litem and attorney ad litem. And then it was important for this particular case because the second district had held that the guardian ad litem was a guardian for purposes of the statute and that the child's claim had been extinguished by the passage of the statute. So there's really significant issues at play. The case was also um, interesting in that there was a real tension on the court over whether or not the Supreme Court should even hear it. There was a jurisdictional question that was raised. The second DCA had dropped a footnote saying no one's raised the issue of the ad litem language and what that means here. So we're deciding this question without guidance on that particular or argument from the parties on that particular topic. Because of that, Justice Kennedy and Lawson really felt that there should not be jurisdiction in the Florida Supreme Court. They felt that the issue was not properly presented for review, and that ultimately became the basis for their dissent. As the guardian ad litem, we were contacted by the attorney who represented the child and asked if we would file an amicus brief for them in order to really flesh out that issue for the tolling statute. And we readily agreed and were happy to litigate on behalf of the child in that and make that argument on behalf of the child in the Florida Supreme Court. Because if you can imagine it, we have tens of thousands of children every year that are in dependency. I believe in 17, there was a total of 52,000 at one point in or out and maybe 32,000 at any particular point in time. And this could have impacted their right to bring a claim when they turned 18 and later on. So it was an important Mm -hmm. issue. We filed the brief and we asked the Supreme Court to be able to argue and and make an oral argument. Um, They agreed. We contacted opposing counsel and opposing counsel said, sure, we don't mind you taking five minutes if we can also have five additional minutes. And so, <laughs> you sure. know, yeah, it worked out well for everyone. They got their extra minutes. I actually, in the oral argument, it was something of a hot bench. Um, I got a lot of questions. I ended up making an almost 10 minute argument. And so um, we were able to make that argument. And the Supreme Court opinion ultimately adopted our argument on what Adelina means and mm. ruled that the statute had not run. Um, So we were able to preserve the rights of the child there. And just as a a point for people listening, if jurisdiction was an issue early on, be prepared to talk about it, because we did have Justice Kennedy in oral argument emphasizing we shouldn't be there and why are we here? And so that was a point that I had to address as well. Um, So it's really great. And then the last thing. I might mention it just for those that are seeking certification and um, maybe need some oral arguments. This is another area to look at. Um, Filing an amicus brief, filing rules, comments. uh, It's kind of an alternative way to get to the court and maybe get an oral argument under your belt where you might not have them presented to you with your cases. So um, fertile ground for appellate practitioners. No, definitely. And uh, we we talked a little bit about this and I think episode four, uh, some of those opportunities and certainly want to take 
suggest that people take advantage of that because it it helps everybody. We've had a lot of volunteers from your episode four. And so I thank you very much for your continuing support of the Defending Best Interest Project, which is what we talked about there in our our efforts to get uh, pro bono appeals and make them available to aspiring practitioners and people that just want to give of their time and their talent. We thank you for that very much. So is this your first opportunity to appear in front of the Florida Supreme Court? No, it was not. Actually, Um, I have done several rules comments arguments, and I was the um, chosen person for the Ineffective Assistance of Counsel Special Committee a few years ago. It was formulated by order of the Florida Supreme Court. I was uh, nominated by our executive director, Alan Abramowitz, to serve on the committee that was chaired by Judge Robbins from the Fifth Fifth Circuit. And when the majority report was to be argued in front of the Supreme Court, she asked me to handle that on behalf of the committee. So that was my first big argument there. And then I've had a couple of rules uh, arguments as well, including arguing on the parental leave rule last month. So I, I've hmm. been actually in front of them several times for rules comments. And, and as I said, for people looking for oral arguments and ways to get up to the Florida Supreme Court, that's another area to really take a look at and see um, if there's one that you have something to say on. Um, because odds are, if there's an oral argument, you'll get at least a minute or two to be heard. And it's an argument. Yep, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, Thomasina, thank you so much for coming on the show again and talking to us about that. And we'll we'll hope to uh, have you back on the show some other time. And we'll we'll keep promoting the Defending Best Interest program as best we can. Thanks, Dwayne. Appreciate it. You have a good thank day. Thank you. Bye bye. So, Chris Donovan, welcome back to the podcast again. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be back. And so you're a board-certified appellate specialist, and you're a shareholder at uh, Retzel and Andrus in Naples. And this week, we've been talking about oral argument stories. So do you, you have a story you can share with us? I do. I do have a, a pretty good, a funny war story, I guess you'd say. Although, candidly, this was, uh, this was all the way back into my moot court days before I was an attorney. I haven't seen anybody do this uh, since, but... It certainly made an impression on me that I've always remembered this because it's a good lesson. And one, be careful what you bring with you up to the podium. And two, uh, don't be arrogant. Um, so in in this particular moot court round, uh, the the other side, of course, had two 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 uh, attorneys, and uh, the one had gotten up and carried his or her uh, uh, outline up to the podium. The second one, however, got up, pulled his chair back, and buttoned up his jacket and and proceeded to the podium with nothing other than a bottle of water. (laughs) And the podium was of the nature that it, it was, you know, like a, like an angled podium and it had no, uh, no desk area, so to say no area where you could really put a bottle of water. (laughs) Right. Right. So the first few minutes of his presentation before he could even say, may it please the court, he was trying to figure out what to do with his bottle of water. I mean, at one point he sort of put it on the podium and it slid a little bit down. And then, then he tried to look underneath the podium to see if there was any shelving. And, and 
then he thought about, he actually started to put it on the ground and then he was like, oh, I'm up. And he thought to himself, probably that, that that's probably not a good place for it. Then he walks back to his table and puts the water bottle back on it to return to the podium and then says, may it please the court. <laughs> <laughs> but it totally disrupted him. I will say that. I don't think he ended up winning that round, but I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> That that would definitely be flustering for sure. It would. You know, it's it funny. That's one of the things that I think about. And like when I go to a court and I argue, I have a a um, notes that I make for each court, like to remember where where you know, once I figure out where to park and where to go in and that sort of thing, the places that I'm not at all the time. And one of the things that I put in my notes is what did the podium look like? You know, because I want to know like, am I going to be able to open up a three ring binder on it? Is there is it really narrow? Is it, you know what I mean? That those are kind oh, yeah. of things that are important, especially if you're in a new environment. I, I like to try to stake it out early, and you know, I, I as I've said in prior podcasts, I use my iPad, so I want to make sure that the podium can fit the iPad. Otherwise, I need to make other arrangements to because uh, <laughs> I'm not one that's going to brave bringing nothing up there with me because that just is a challenge, in my opinion, to the court to try to stump you. <laughs> nothing but a bottle of water, right? Yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Hey, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. Anytime. Thanks to everybody for appearing on short notice on the Issues on Appeal podcast. Remember, podcasts are never legal advice. Nothing that I say or my guests say should ever be interpreted as legal advice for any particular situation. That being said, if you're a lawyer who needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. You can contact me at Issues on Appeal on Twitter or at my professional email, ddaiker at shoemaker.com. My contact information and the contact information for all of my guests is always in the show notes available in your podcast player or on our website, issuesonappeal.com. Thanks again for listening. Please consider telling a lawyer that you know about the show. If you could share a link on your social media accounts, that would be great. Any exposure for the show is greatly appreciated. Also, please consider using our sponsor, Commercial Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. Their contact information is in the show notes. Take a moment, add it to your contacts, so that you're ready when your client needs a supersedious bond. I've got another great show coming up in two weeks. There's some really interesting content in the works. And as always, thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal. Issues on Appeal.